0: This morning we're reading from John 1 verses 29 and 30. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's uh, yeah, it's great to see you all here to be here together, to worship together, to gather, um, to go before God and His Word together. We believe that the Scriptures, which tell us they are true and they are directly um, given to us from God, and they are profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and for all things. and And so we come with that posture and that expectation. As we gather in John this morning, we've been um, in John for the last few weeks and we will be for the rest of this year into probably most of next year as well. We're just going uh, a slow pace through John uh, with the goal of really taking again, taking God at his word and saying that the purpose of this is that we would we would see Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we can have eternal life, rich, full, meaningful, um, shaping life in him. And so uh, with that, I, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know I have a st- stutter. It's always there on cue. Um, but it'll kind of come in and out as I preach and just want to give you a, a heads up um, as I go. And also just say, I'm so thankful this service, we are not recording. Um, What we do is we record during the eight o'clock so that then we can make it live for everyone um, at... 10 o'clock for those who are, who are online, and um, which is still the majority of our, of our church, and um, we're so glad you could be here. And also, last uh, in the earlier service, the, the camera went nuts on us for a little bit, and it was crazy. We had to stop, and Stephen right here stepped up and fixed it. We had other people calling on the phone and all kinds of things. But um, anyway, we got it figured out. But we don't have to worry about any of that this morning. Amen? So all right. Amen means like I'm tracking with you, I'm following with you. You don't have to say amen if I call for it unless you actually are tracking, but, um, but so, so you don't, don't feel pressured, but it's an invitation. Um, so with that, let me go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll get into our time together. Heavenly Father, we, we do believe that your word is, um, is given to us, or to shape us, and we believe that as the Proverbs say, though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And so, Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the m- meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And, and we pray that this morning, as we get into your word, we will see Jesus more clearly. That That while we look at other things and explore other ideas that, that as in any other aspect of life, that, that, that Jesus' preeminence, that his rule and reign and authority over all things will, will rise above and will inform and shape everything else. We pray all these things in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we walk through this section. So we're in John chapter 1, um, verses 19 through 34. So that's the section that we'll be in. Together, so go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles if you have them, and and I'll just say this too: if you're, um, I still sometimes have to do this in different spots. There's no shame in ever going to the table of contents and looking up a book um, if you can't find it, and it's one that's like, where is that again? Um, you can always do that. And also, normally we would give out a copy of God's Word, but we're not doing that. You know, this whole R- R- Rona thing. Um, and but yeah, we're not able to hand them out right now. But. Um, If you don't have a Bible, please let us know. We can get you one. We'll spray it off with uh, Lysol first, but then we want to get you a copy of God's Word. And um, with that, what we'll see this morning is we're going to learn something about people, and then we're going to learn something about John the Baptist, and then we're going to learn some things about Jesus. And full disclosure out of the gates... The big idea, the main person we're going to learn about is Jesus. But in, um, in connection with learning about Jesus, we learn something and can even maybe learn some, some cues we can take from this guy, John the Baptist. And then we'll also, a bit of a looking in the mirror, learn something about ourselves as we learn about these people. So um, with that, let me just go ahead and read this whole section here, um, this, this, this first part to kind of set the stage for us. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us What do you say about yourself? So, what we learn about these people and who they are is they are religious authorities sent by even greater religious authorities in Jerusalem. So the, the kind of the, the main folks, the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem, sent these people to go and learn something about this guy, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had had made a name for himself. He he was crying out and calling for, for people, specifically for Jewish people, for God's people, to, to, to come to faith. Or to come to repentance and to, and to confess their sins. And then he was baptizing, as we'll see in a moment. And, and, and his life demanded a bit of an explanation. And so understandably, these people want to know. But let me pause for a moment and acknowledge for all of us, what we need to learn is um, something they're doing is something we tend to do. And it's think that we can use humanistic faculties, to understand the truth, all right? Now, let me explain those terms. I I wouldn't have known those. Um, Humanistic means coming from um, the stuff we have by being human, right? So by our strength, our our wit, our um, emotional capacity or health, our feelings, whatever it is, anything that we think, well, I can do this, right? I think or I feel or I do, therefore, I am, and they're coming with a posture of, God, you're kind of on um, the trial stand, and we want to know what's going on here. And they see some stuff that this guy John is doing, and they come with that posture. Hey, tell us. And he's like, well, and we'll get to him in a moment, but he gives them some answers, and they're still like, um, no, okay, so not that. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? And, and there's, there's a sense of, of, of authority that they're carrying, and yet John, will see, deflects their attention from himself. But, but, but before I move on there to John, um, what we see about these people, and again, we need to kind of look in the mirror right now from ourselves, is how much we tend to. Even, hear me now, even as Christians, all right, I don't know everybody's story in here. I don't know who would call themselves a Christian or what you would refer to yourself as, but whether you're not a Christian, which many of my family members are not, my extended family um, are not, or you would say you're a Christian, we all, hear me, all, tend to think too highly of ourselves. We tend to use humanistic faculties, humanistic approach to think we can make things right or find understanding through that. And yet the message that we'll even continue to see as we look at John the Baptist and then we look at Jesus is that outside, hear me, outside of God's intervention, we are all blind and hard-hearted. Okay, We, we can't Just think ourselves, ask enough questions, figure it all out, and then arrive at the place that we need to. And now again, I want to speak to Christians because many times, though we would confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, or even just roll off our tongues by God's grace, often our functional approach to relating with God, understanding God, we rely too much on logic, reason, Effort, right? I stumbled, I missed, I continue to fall into this particular sin pattern. I know what I need to do. I need to, I'll spend an extra hour every morning waking up and doing this. That might be a good thing, right? I need to do this, I need to do that. It might be a good thing. I need to get more accountability. But when it's coming from a a heart of a humanistic approach, it will always fall short. Amen. Amen. We need God to intervene because outside of his intervention, we're blind. We're hard-hearted. And I'll just say right now, um, especially kind of looking ahead to how we're going to end this time, um, we in our church context, and even particularly some of our, whether you use the word tribe or whatever, some of, the, some of our, our church approach tends to rely a little too much on logic, reason, academia, and a little too less on the spirit of God, on the revelation of God. And yet John the Baptist pick up with me in um, verse 23, right? So they're demanding an answer. And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's quoting Isaiah. And you could um, read that as though he's saying it like, I'm just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Because of the next things that John the Baptist says, he is, he is deflecting attention from himself. They're like, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? And he's like, listen, I'm just, like Isaiah said, the one who comes before, the one who's, the one who's crying out in the wilderness. I don't have all the answers for you. I'm just getting your attention. And then he goes on and says, and I want to pause here for a moment because he goes on and says right? They asked him, are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. So something that we learn about John the Baptist is that he doesn't fully know himself or fully understand his mission. All right. Now I think we can learn a lot from John the Baptist because he tends to be more okay with that than probably most of us are, right? So they ask him, are you Elijah? Now, if you've ever read any of the other accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Okay these are the gospel accounts of Jesus the word gospel means good news and this is this is the good news of Jesus according to Matthew according to Mark according to Luke according to John so this is in their experience and what they've witnessed and what they've learned and what they've seen they're writing about the gospel the good news of Jesus all right so that's what we're going into and and they all mention John the Baptist so he's an important person okay there's a lot that one will emphasize and the other won't different things but they all mention John the Baptist, but here's the thing, okay? Full disclosure. I don't want to try to hide. Sometimes we we try to protect God's word. C.S. Lewis famously said, um, um, g- "God and His word don't need to be. It's it's like a caged lion. They don't. It doesn't need to be protected. It just needs to be let loose. All right. Like we don't need to protect. So the other accounts, Jesus refers to John the Baptist as guess who? Elijah. Oh no contradiction, right? It could seem like, oh no, this is not what, something's wrong here. John, in John, the gospel, according to John, John the Baptist, there's a lot of Johns there, right? If I had the authority, I'd start changing names, but I don't, so I'm not gonna mess with that. All right, this is God's word. Um, but, but John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah, but Jesus says he is Elijah. Well, what's going on there? Well, let me give you two um, answers. Um, first of all, the, the main answer is this. It's not a problem, most honest scholars agree this is not a problem at all first and foremost because um John the Baptist is um has the spirit of Elijah or the sense of he is playing the role of Elijah what and what he is saying right here is no, I'm not Elijah in the flesh, like reincarnated. That doesn't really fit with this particular worldview. Like, we don't believe in all that. Like, no, I'm not Elijah. And he's doing this, again, to downplay himself. But he's also acknowledging, no, I'm not physically Elijah. But something else that I want us to understand that is really clear, and this is a theme throughout the whole Gospel of John is this. Hear me. Jesus knows more about John the Baptist than John the Baptist knows about himself. Now hear me, this is important for every single one of us in this room right now. Jesus knows more about you than you know about you. And the same is true for me. And that's incredibly freeing. all right. And we're in a world today that is saying the exact opposite. I think it's incredibly dangerous. We give ourselves or we feel as though we have to be the ultimate authorities on me i know everything there and that and that like we should okay if we have a creator then perhaps he knows more than us and the assumption from john as we've read is we do have a creator and in the first 18 verses we learn that is jesus he was in the beginning in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god everything that was made was made through him Anything that was made, which is everything, was made through and for Jesus. Okay, that's already been said. So now, we as humans, if we were made through and for Jesus, perhaps he knows a little more about us than we know about us. Okay, and this is true of John the Baptist here. He didn't know everything about himself, and there's a a, a freedom with that. Okay, he has this He's not too worried about it. Some of us allow ourselves to get tripped up. We get painted into a corner, right? Someone's asking us, well, what about this? Well, what about that? What about that? And there's a sense of like, look, you're, I don't know everything. And I don't have to. It's okay that I don't. Okay, but but let me tell you about Jesus. And you see that when they start asking him about the baptism, right? They start asking him, about, um, well, why are you baptizing then, right? And they say, um, if you're not who you say you are, you're not this prophet, you're not um, the Christ, then, then why are you baptizing people? And let me explain that, that would in that day people did baptize all right sometimes we wonder why you know we don't see in the whole old testament people don't baptize well what baptism is is a cleansing from a from immersion getting dunked into water and that's what john the baptist was doing we see that especially in mark in the gospel of according to Mark you see this happening and other religious authorities were doing the same thing and usually they would just do it to um, people that converted from one religion to another. Specifically, if you were non-Jewish and then you now converted to Judaism, you would get baptized and that's what John the Baptist is doing but he's apparently not only baptizing Jewish people because they're wondering and and, and usually only this high religious authority would be doing this baptizing. So they challenge him on that. But look at how he answers. I love this, we can learn something, take our cues from John the Baptist, because how does he answer them? They're like, why are you baptizing? And he basically answers them with a non-answer. I baptize with water. He's like, yep, I do, you're right. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John the Baptist is saying, listen, you can ask me every question you want, and there's a lot I don't have full, complete answer for, but you're asking the wrong question to the wrong people, the wrong person. Look to him. Look to Jesus. Okay, and when John says, "Uh, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal, that's like a a humility. It's not a false humility like, well, oh, you know, and then he goes on to like brag about himself. Something we see is John the Baptist could have made much of himself as we'll see here soon, and we even learn here, he doesn't. He's constantly saying, listen, I'm a mirror pointing toward someone else. And and again, let me just explain for a moment, because a lot of times, like I have people in my own family who have PhDs or we're hear of other people who are so smart and so wise and know so many things and and then we think oh we have to give an answer we have to tell them everything every question they're asking I have to answer it exactly as it is yes apologetics if you've ever heard that term like giving a defense or an explanation for Christianity is good and important yes having a ready defense as we're told is is a wise thing to do but The best thing to do is know what is the substance, the foundation of our faith. As 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, listen, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. We're foolish. But if Jesus did raise from the dead, and he did, he has the authority and the wisdom and the ability to speak into and to authoritatively speak over everything. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the authority. I'm not the creator. I don't have all the wisdom. But Jesus, right, this is before he rose from the dead, but he sees him. He gets a a vision. He gets insight into who Jesus is. And he says, listen, it's not all about me. Look at him. Okay, now pick up with me where he does say that in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we learn something about people, right? We learn that people, these people that we've looked at here, these religious authorities and ourselves, outside of God's intervention are hard-hearted and blind. And then we learn something about John the Baptist. We learn what it looks like to know you're not the authority on yourself or on all things pertaining to God. Okay, you we, there is a freedom in, in surrendering the 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 um, expectation that you are the ultimate authority. There's also a freedom in living a life that's not all about you okay, hey, if you're a Christian, you know that's what it means. There's there's a, a direct, the, again, outside of God's intervention, we are navel gazers. If you, we look at ourselves, we have an inward orientation. It's all about me. What are they going to think of me? What are they going to say about me? What is What am I going to make of my life? What if I didn't succeed? Then we hit our midlife crisis like I'm at now, and it's like, I better go get a red convertible. I need to make up for lost time and, you know, prove myself to the world, and I need to do this, I need to do that, and there's this pressure, but but the good news of, of Jesus turns our gaze to him and to delighting in him. So now this last part, let us look to and learn more about Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk through these next verses, verse by verse. And here John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So um, let's, just, let's just agree that Jesus is the most nicknamed person in the entire world. (laughs) Or I don't know if you have any nicknames about yourself or ever did growing up. I have a few, some of them. One was Cubby that kind of stuck for some reason. A lot of my friends still call me that. It's because I was like a short little guy that would get fiery. So they kind of condescendingly called me Cubby. Um, But Jesus's nicknames, if you will, um, are not really nicknames, they're titles. And it's not like, oh, a silly thing about him, but it's, no, this is who he is. This is how you can, you want to understand, well, let me tell you, let me fill these pages, God says. And then even there, let me give you these loaded words and loaded titles that help you understand the person and work and authority and good news of Jesus. And one of those, perhaps you've heard of it, is the Lamb of God. Well, something I learned in preparation for this, I don't know if you um, knew this, is Only one person refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, or only one biblical author, and it's this author, John. In the gospel according to John and in Revelation, which John also wrote, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, but nowhere else is he. So that's an important theme throughout now as we read John, okay, take note of that. okay, this is an important title. And what it means is in their day, you would understand a lamb was given as like a sacrifice. Okay, if you, every year... As the head of your household, you would bring a your very best of your livestock if it was uh, like a heifer or a cow or in most people's cases it would be a lamb but it would be the very best and then for the poor it would be like a um like like d- doves or um, different types of birds and you would bring these but for most people it was a lamb and you would offer this lamb and and then the lamb would be um, some of you might not like this or didn't know this about it, but it would be like it would be killed, it would be slaughtered, and the blood would be, would be poured out. And the, and the sacrifice was acknowledging, I have sinned against God, even one sin, much less all the sins I've committed, but even one of my sins deserves death. And yet, I've offered the very best of what I had, in faith, trusting that in God's grace, his undeserved favor, his undeserved acceptance of what I bring, He's going to dismiss me. He's going to accept me. And so it's still God's grace, and it's still an act of faith, but it was by bringing this, this lamb. So if you're, again, new to Christianity, and you hear, like, why do Christians talk about blood? And in a moment, we're going to respond. We're going to talk about taking communion. And we use the language of Jesus' body was broken, and then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so I, and you might wonder, why is that? Well, it's because, again, this idea that our sin deserves death. The wages of sin, we're told in Romans, is death. And we have all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it would be unheard of that someone would use that term for a person, Now, again, remember, this isn't just any person. This is Jesus physically in the flesh, right? John the Baptist looks up. There's Jesus, right? Pinch yourself in the flesh, real person, not just ethereal God out there floating, but also Jesus who's in the flesh, fully man, but also has been revealed as fully God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we learn in verse 17 there of chapter one that this is all talking about Jesus. So Jesus is fully man and fully God, and yet one of his titles is the Lamb of God? Like, you mean like the sacrificial language? Okay, I don't fully get that. And the invitation in John is, well, you'll learn more about that. Okay, but but he is the Lamb of God. And then this word I want us to understand. If you look there, it says, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is a, 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 um, a collective noun. Okay. We tend to think in such a way right now where we probably think of sins. Oh, he takes away my sin or my individual sins, but it is that, but even more. Okay. This, this word, this important term there, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is all the individual sins. Like just for a moment, look around in this room. Don't go judging everyone and thinking who's done what. But right, you look around here, and we see there are a lot of sins in this in this room. Probably this morning, right? Like much less over the last you know week, month, six months, right? Um, Individual sins, but then there's also just sin in the world around us. There's there's brokenness. There's evil. Pandemics are a result of sin. Okay, bodies breaking down. Then injustice. War, evil, hatred. There's, there's this, this, this individual and this corporate reality of sin. Someone said sin has affected and infected everything. And yet Jesus, this Lamb of God, is the one who takes away the sin. Sins, every past sin, every present sin, every future sin of the individual and the power of sin on a global, worldwide, collective level. Jesus is that kind of God. He is that powerful. This man who John looks at and says, behold the Lamb of God. That's what he's like, why are you focused on me? You're focused on the wrong thing, on the wrong person. Look at him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 30, this is he of whom I said after me, comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. Okay, just quickly there, explanation there. Um, if you're, again, a Bible student of the Bible, you know maybe that John the Baptist is actually older than Jesus. So, But he says, this is the one who, though I came, I was revealed before him, he came before me. So again, that's just a, a, a one of many places where the author, John, is making clear, listen, this person, Jesus, yes, he was born, but he has no beginning. Okay, he is the one through whom all things were created. But then he also says, I didn't know him. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where John the Baptist doesn't even know everything about himself, but Jesus does. Okay, and then he's also saying, and I didn't really know him. Now, again, they're second cousins, all right? They grew up together. Their moms were friends. They knew each other. He definitely, it's not like, who is this random person here? Like, I don't know anything about you. But have you ever known somebody that's like, um, I've known you for a while, but like now I feel like I really know you. Like, I just learned some new things about you. Okay, earlier in the first service, I mentioned um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the movie Forrest Gump, but it's kind of like that. It's like this. It's like this. This increasing revelation where you're like, wait a minute, you, um, you like are the one who solved Watergate. You got a Heisman Trophy. You um, you like got a Medal of Honor. You taught Elvis Presley how to dance. It's almost ridiculous how much this guy did. And it's like, you're learning more and more. Or, and more maybe closer to home, um, Jenny Bell, who's up here living, waiting not worship. Her husband, Paul Bell, um, he he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. And if you know Paul, you learn some things about him. You're like, oh, man, he's a cool guy. Oh, he likes this. He likes that. And then you just learn at some point that he ran from Mexico to Canada. And you're like, whoa, now I really know you. Okay, and it's this, this idea. It's not that everything was a lie before. It's not that, but it's like now my eyes have been opened. And so what John is talking about is, yeah, I've known Jesus, but now I see who he is. And that's important because this part, he says, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, that's an important word. Again, if you're the underlining or circling type, circle that or underline that because it's important that revealed, as I said earlier, outside of God's intervention, we are what? Blind and hard-hearted. We are navel gazers. We are inward focused. But God reveals himself to us. Hear me, if you're here and you are a Christian, I don't know your story, I don't know your whole testimony, but I know that a massive part of it is God has revealed himself to you. And hear me also, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or maybe you thought you were a Christian, you grew up in a, in a church, you know, Christian home, You do, but like you, it's been more of a kind of a, an out there kind of deal. Is is God revealing himself to you right now, this morning? Maybe a friend invited you here. Maybe a classmate has invited you to be a part of another Christian group. And okay, God is a pursuing God. C.S. Lewis can refer to him as the hound of heaven. He's the revealing God. And outside of his intervention, we wouldn't think ourselves to him. We wouldn't feel ourselves to him. We wouldn't find him. Okay, sometimes people will say I found God and I don't it's not like I go out there and like no no no, you know, no he didn't. But it's like no, he reveals himself to us. And again, by his intervention, he will soften our hearts. He will give this language will be used all throughout John, eyes to see and ears to hear. He is the revealing God. And then in this last part here, John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God, the one who is sealed with the Holy Spirit. The one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, in our particular church tradition, I, I'm going to just say, I don't think we talk enough about the Holy Spirit. Again, going into earlier what I said, I think we tend to rely on a little too humanistic efforts. Well, I'm going to really hone the craft of preaching so that I can you know, reach into people's hearts and, and, and reveal the good news of Jesus and do so well at that, or we're going to really work on our liturgical order and, and, and really help this whole flow to set the stage for us to see. God more clearly, all that, hear me, is good. And we do that, right? I don't just wing my sermons. We don't just wing what we're doing up here and leading worship. And I'm like, hey, what song? Anyone? Anyone got a song? All right, cool. Yeah. Kumbaya, let's do it. You know, that's not how it works, right? Because we know that God is choosing to work through us, but there absolutely has to be a keen awareness that it is only through the Holy Spirit Again, that God reveals himself to us. And in the most clear way, right here, we see that the, the, the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit is through the person and work of Jesus. And that's what it means when it says the Holy Spirit descended on him. It means that like Jesus was publicly approved Okay, by God, and it's like, it's not like the spirit like landed and, you know, pooped on his shoulder, and he's like this little dove. Sometimes we think that's like, oh, it's this bird, and then there's like bumper stickers of doves and things that we, we forget, but no, it says descended, like you would see like a dove like fluttering in and landing and then settling, and the imagery is actually sealing, is that Jesus is now sealed with the Holy Spirit. So, and not that he needed that, but that the world needed to know everything he's about to do from the first, hear me, the first miracle that we'll see in two weeks when he turns water to wine, we tend to think, oh, he, pur- he pulled out the God card. Jesus is like, all right, my mom keeps nagging me right now to make, you know, so they ran out of wine, fine, you know, abracadabra, boom, like wine, but no, we see that he is compelled and driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the fact that he is sealed by the Spirit. Now, this is a foreshadowing in a picture for all of us who call on the name of Christ, who put our faith in Christ, who have been this language used, have been born again dead to sin and alive again to new life through faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, now indwelt with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed, protected, empowered by who? The Holy Spirit. Say it, Holy Spirit. All right, Uh uh-oh, we just turned into a charismatic church all of a sudden, Uh uh-oh. Like, you know, sometimes we operate with that fear. No, this is good. Church, we need to grow in depending on, relying on, calling on, praying in, the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. So as we close right now, let's just remember we learn something. We learn something about people, about ourselves, that our tendency is to be humanistic, to have too high a view of ourselves. And we need to recognize, no, outside of God's intervention, we're blind and we're hard-hearted then we look at this guy, John the Baptist, and we see a picture of what life would look like to to direct everyone's gaze, to have a non-anxious presence that's like, I might not know everything, I might not even know everything about myself, but I know him. Okay, let's, let's look to him. Let's turn to him. Let's trust him. And then finally, we see Jesus. We see Jesus, as John chapter 20 said, the main purpose, the whole purpose is that you and I would see God revealed to us, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the one in whom we can have life, eternal life, abundant life. Let's pray together in His name. Again, Father, um, thank You for Your Word given to us. Thank You for the hope we can have in Christ. Lord, I pray that... um, Lord, I entrust our response to you, to your Holy Spirit. Whatever we need to do and say, feel, think, Lord, I pray that you will lead us by your spirit. I pray that our church will be empowered by your spirit. I pray that the church around the world will will no longer rely on our humanistic efforts, our our church services, if you will, even some of the things we've been able to trust in our our, um, humanistic strengths and abilities, Lord, those have been exposed and they're fruitless. Lord, but your Holy Spirit produces fruit. Lord, and we want to we want to we see that kind of fruit. We want to, um, Lord, see the kind of power that you bring, Lord, through us humbly trusting in you and lifting our gaze to Jesus. It's in his name that we respond and in his name that we pray. Amen.